welcome to Full Circle with Garland. I'm a leader in the DEI space and have spent 20 years of my career in human resources. I've been having meaningful conversations about career development with my friends and colleagues, many of whom are rarely heard on stages and podcasts. I am excited to bring you their stories each week. I will be sharing how their diverse backgrounds have shaped their work, the lessons in their career highs and lows, and the importance of recognizing the full circle moments in life. Thank you for joining me, and I hope you enjoy this week's interview. So welcome to Full Circle with Garland. Today's guest is Rosalie Manansala. Uh, she is, I'd say, one of the women that I've had an opportunity to meet through an organization called FIRE, uh, Filipinos in Institutional Real Estate. Uh, she has her own uh, firm. She's the president of Jackson Stone Financial. Um, it's a great opportunity today to speak with you, and I'm excited to hear a little bit more about you. Um, so how are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful. Thanks for having me. Um, can you tell me how I'd say a lot of the work that you've been doing, um, has changed recently or not? Oh gosh, it's changed significantly. (laughs) It's actually still changing. Um, I'm sure I'm not the only one where, um, you know, I'm either having to pivot or kind of reimagine kind of my business structure um, and business model, right? Um, Because we're undergoing unprecedented times, um, I think in particular for the commercial real estate space, um, everything, I shouldn't say everything, but most things are on a hold um, just because, I think many groups, whether you're an investor or a property owner, I think the jury is still out and the sand is still up in the air um, as it relates to kind of valuation and kind of where we'll be, you know, once the lockdown is over and once we've kind of figured out a vaccine. So um, there's a lot of uncertainty and, um, you know, the industry is changing asset classes that were very popular back in the day or pre-COVID are no longer popular. And then you have new groups coming up with new strategies. So I think the industry in general is in flux. And so, you know, just trying to stay on top of things, um, reading what's going on in real time is very important. Um, And that's kind of how I've uh, been kind of managing sort of what the what next question, right? Just keeping on top of things and, um, really trying to see where the economy will be um, six months, 12 months, two years from now. Great. Um, So here at Full Circle, we like to find out a little bit more about you from a personal standpoint. Um, So given, you know, real estate's never that career people always decide to get into, how has your upbringing shaped how you show up in the world and, and how you got into this industry? Um, you know, I'll just kind of give you a little bit of background since you want to get personal. Um, you know, I was raised by a single mom. Um, I'm the youngest of three, I have two older brothers. My family migrated here when I was about two years old. Um, we had very, very humble beginnings 
And I think the struggle and kind of seeing my mom work so hard um, to not only put food on the table, to make ends meet and to give us um, a much brighter and better future. So I think seeing that struggle kind of gave me the grit of um, trying to make something out of myself, no matter the circumstances that I was in. Um, I think that, um, you know, a lot of folks and, you know, nonprofit organizations that I was involved in kind of helped pave the way uh, for me, my brothers and my mom. And I think that um, the way that shaped me is I kind of remember all the people that sort of paved the way for us, made the load a lot lighter. So the work that I do involves a lot of social impact um, strategies, um, specifically in the commercial real estate space. And so, you know, my philosophy has always been, how can I help, right? And I think that translates to the work that I do for my clients and showing up in a very authentic way of how to help improve people's lives. And I think that's a big part of what makes me successful today because as you know in the commercial real estate space there's big money to be made and a lot of folks are so focused on the dollar signs and I think when clients meet me and it's like they feel that authentic desire to help them in a very big way um, it shines through and it kind of um, has helped grow my business Perfect. So I, I think it's the humble beginnings, knowing that, you know, if it wasn't for people that helped pave the way and make the load lighter, um, now it's sort of, I'm in a position to return that favor. So I try to incorporate that into my work. Thank you. Um, so I know when we were talking earlier about um, how as you're coming up, you, you know, don't realize sometimes all the obstacles that you're overcoming until you look back and you realize, wow, I kind of persevered. I got through that. Um, can you talk a little bit about, I'd say those, those awkward years, those kind of, you know, difficult years? Um, yeah. Um, you're absolutely right. When, you know, like they say, uh, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? Um, but while you're going through it, it's just like, oh my God, when am I going to get out of this mess? But growing up, you know, I, I think I mentioned this to you before. I, I had disabilities. Um, I was born with dyslexia and also strabismus, which is uh, double vision. So from K through 12, I really never um, did well in school. I was a C and D student. And the interesting part is, you know, they didn't diagnose that until I was about 17. So basically right before I graduated high school. So if you can imagine a little kid wanting to make something out of herself, but you're just like, God, you're trying so hard in school, but you're just not making the grades. And it wasn't because I was lazy. It wasn't because I was not interested. It's just, I think the way, you know, I, like for one, I didn't get reading comprehension, right? Because I would get all the letters mixed up. But I think that very, those two disabilities are actually what gave me the grit and the skill sets that I needed to be successful in what I do today. Because, you know, if you're imagining as a little kid, you know, you have book reports, right? And you're like, God, I just read Islands of the Blue Dolphin and 
they're telling a different story compared to what I read, right? And so it made me as a kid, you know, once I look at stuff or review documents or read articles, if it doesn't make sense, I go back and read it because I knew I missed something. So when people are telling me stories or when I'm looking at financials or when I'm looking at a client's deck, it's got to make sense to me. And I think that made me shine, especially when I was in um, public accounting, because, you know, you, you're on different engagements for Fortune 100 and 500 companies. And I think what made me shine against my colleagues was that they would look at numbers and think it's fine. I'd look at a spreadsheet and pinpoint exactly where the discrepancies are, right? Because my brain just trained that way where even though I couldn't read straight, I had a way of coping with it where I had to process and understand things. So I think that skill set really is what got me to the next level. And I didn't get reading comprehension until college. So there was a whole lot of catching up to do. But, um, you know, it's funny how your disabilities or your weaknesses end up being your strengths. Um, yeah. And that's kind of what my, that's my weakness. And that's how it became my strength later on in life. Yeah, I think I read a book with Malcolm Gladwell, where he talked about that, how um, there's been folks who had to, you know, use their auditory skills, or they were great verbal presenters, because they were not great readers, or they just had a harder time doing certain things. And as a result, of that being difficult, it created another skill in them that they became much more astute to. And that became, a, like you said, a strength or kind of a superpower yes. that they show up with. Um, so I love that you're sharing this because I think that um, we don't, we don't talk about this stuff enough. Um, it's sometimes hard to even get someone to say, gosh, this was difficult for me. So I love that you're sharing this. Um, and how, in terms of, you know, once you realize this, you know, college now, how does it, you know, you're like, wow, I now I know I've got this thing. I'm not going to let this hold me back. How am I going to, you know, start to get out there in new ways or show up in a different way now that I've, you know, kind of realized this is something that I, now I know what this is. Um, how do I keep moving forward? That's a great question. And Quite frankly, it wasn't like I woke up one day and kind of real, you know, gained all this wisdom and voila, this is why I was a C&D student, right? Um, after I had my surgery, it was, I could see like night and day. It was, I was blown away. But it wasn't until maybe um, after college that I had an epiphany. Like, God, I looking back, this is the reason why. Because now I was excelling, right? I was doing better in school. I was doing better at work. Um, and that's when I was able to connect the dots where God, and, and I think that gave me even more momentum, right? In, in terms of, I had the, this, this, you know, this, these two disabilities that I had no idea of, but then I graduated high school. I uh, graduated college and now, I'm, you know, pursuing a CPA, like what more could I have done now that I have my eyesight straight, right? Now that I can see straight, right? And I can read and have comprehension. So I think that was my foundational motivation where, you know, now I, that's removed from me. Imagine the mountains I can climb, 
And so for me, that was my motivating factor. So when you decided to pursue going into uh, CPA firms, um, when did you realize it was going to be, you know, an interesting or different path for you? And when did you realize you were going to kind of deviate from that? Um, Good question, because I remember clearly or vividly when I got there, I was just excited to be there. Um, You know, when I decided to uh, major in accounting and pursue my CPA license, it was always a dream for me to work um, at a big five. Now it's the big four back then. It was a big five. That was just like, God, if I make it there, it's the end. I'll be all like I've arrived. Right. And I remember getting my offer letter. I was ready to do cartwheels because here we, here I come. Right. So you're working there. Number one, I was just excited to be in the same sandbox, right. As these folks. And, um, you know, so for the first two years, I was excited at a corporate card. I was traveling all over the nation, but also all over the world. Um, the firm had sent me to India um, for training, and I was just excited of these new experiences. And I would say after two years, and and when you start off, it's pretty diverse. Like um, as an associate and as a senior, you know, you have all kinds of folks, right? Both men and women, um, and also different types of people of color, right? So it never really felt odd. Um, then after the excitement sort of faded about two years into it, you know, I'm looking not only at the people around me, but people above me at different levels. Right. And I'm thinking, gosh, there's not a whole lot of women like women were falling off like mid, like after manager level. Right. And then when you go to the part senior manager and partner levels, not only are women falling off, but now there's less people of color. And so, you know, I continued on because I come from a background where you just put your head down, you do a good job and um, you don't complain and you do as you're told and, and that's it. And I said, God, if I continue on this path, I'd be working 80 hour weeks traveling, not seeing my family. Um, And so I had to make an executive decision for my life, right? I realized at that point that that wasn't for me. And I was kind of grappling with it because I was drinking the Kool-Aid like, God, I feel like a cop out leaving, right? Because the thought is if you leave before a certain level, you know, you're kind of a cop out. And I said, God, I, but fortunately I worked um, in private industry. I worked for a business management firm and also a family office. So I knew kind of what was on the other side while my colleagues, they were, they went there right out of college. So I knew that there was something, um, an alternative to this lifestyle, right. Or this career. So in 2011, I decided, you know, this is not for me. I left there with no job, no client, no nothing. Right. I decided to take a six month sabbatical just to kind of uh, refigure out my career path. And I said, you know what? I'm still young. Um, I've got low overhead. Um, let me go see if I can start my own practice. And thank God I didn't know what it took to start your own practice <laughs> because uh, ignorance is bliss. That's so, so true. Uh, looking back, I think I had I known how hard it was to be your own boss, I don't think I would have ever done it. But now 
almost 10 years down the line, um, I wouldn't change it for the world. I, I don't think I could ever go back to being an employee. I think there's a, a very big sense of pride being your own boss and creating something out of nothing. So long story short to answer your question, it took me about two years um, after the excitement and the thrills kind of subsided and I got a reality check. <laughs> and that's when I kind of had to do a reassessment. So since you decided to, you know, go out on your own, what are the lessons that you've learned along the way? Um, both, you know, the, the great ones that you're like, I will never forget this. Um, or the ones where you're like, this is the best feeling ever. And if I could just bottle this up and I do this, like, this is why I do this. Yeah. Um, number one, I think in the beginning, you're kind of scared to ask for help because, you know, I think it's very different being an entrepreneur versus being an employee. Cause I think if you're an employee, you sort of have, they have a set path for you, right? They have a roadmap. And as long as you're willing to work hard, as long as you're willing to do your homework, right. And put the work in, you're kind of good to go. Um, but when you're an entrepreneur, uh, you're your own boss, you're, you're figuring stuff out on your own. And I think the one mistake that I made early on was not asking for help and not um, getting a mentor that can kind of lead me through the pitfalls, right? I had to figure it out all on my own. And in the end, I did, right? But I think it took longer than if I just raised my hand um, and asked for help. And I think, I don't know if this is a woman thing, a cultural thing or what, but I feel that when I, you know, I don't mind giving help to other people or advocating for other people. But when it comes to my own needs, I have a harder time going to people and asking for help. I don't know. I, I haven't, I'm still trying to figure that out, but to answer your question, I wish I would have um, raised my hand and asked for help um, early on. Okay. Well, um, I feel like you had a second part of that question. Yeah. That I the second part of the question is, you know, what are the things that have been triumphant and great for you that you feel like I would never have had this experience if I didn't become an entrepreneur? Um, I think having, despite the blood, sweat, and tears, I think having full control of your destiny, right? Um, selecting clients that you want to work with, right? You can say yes or you can say no. So I'm going to pivot into asking a bit more about um, how you continue to learn and stay on top of things. Um, you know, about a year ago, um, I decided to get an executive coach and I realized, um, and what triggered that was, you know, I wanted to take my firm to the next level, but I didn't know how to. And I was reading all kinds of books and, you know, talking to different people. And it has been the best um, decision I've ever made um, from a career perspective. Because if you think about it, you know, um, when you're an entrepreneur, you're kind of your own boss, right? I mean, technically your clients are your bosses. But when you're running the show and you're running the firm, there's no one above you to kind of give you review notes, right? Or to say, these are your weaknesses, these are your strengths. And um, you kind of are at the helm of things. Um, and so it was hard for me to um, pinpoint kind of what this next chapter of my career would look like. So when I got a, an executive coach, I mean, I was blown away 
in a sense that, um, you know, you live with yourself 24 seven. And I think the coach was able to kind of pinpoint what I'm, you know, what I'm good at, what I love to do, what environments I thrive in, um, even setting a, a northern star for me, right? What my passions are, what I want to give to the world in in a way that is coming from myself, right? It's not a self-help book. So that was very much life-changing for me. I think I, you know, she was able to, um, you know, bring out the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I was able to refocus. And I think a lot of what I'm doing now, you know, once I set that and put it on paper, I mean, opportunities, it's just weird how the universe works. Opportunities just started coming, knocking on my doorstep because we set sort of a roadmap, right? And it kind of, that was my way to put it out to the universe. And without even having to chase it, these opportunities ever since, um, you know, started coming my way. So to answer your question is, um, it was my executive coach. Oh, wow. I don't think people hear about coaches very often, or at least they're kind of best kept secrets. Um, how did you go about finding your coach? Um, through colleagues, um, you know, I would share my stories with colleagues saying, God, I really want to get to the next level, but I, I really don't know how to. I've been doing this for quite some time. And you kind of get stuck in a box, right? Um, and then you kind of are, it's like a fish in a fish tank, right? They don't know they're in water until they get out of it. And I think getting a coach gets you out of that. And it's from talking to uh, colleagues, getting recommendations, interviewing different coaches. I interviewed three different coaches. And it, you know, I think when hiring a coach, you've got to mesh well with them from a personality perspective, their style, making sure they're certified in the right areas. Um, and so it, it's just through referrals and recommendations and interviewing different coaches. Um, so looking forward in terms of some of the work that you've been doing, do you have any upcoming launches or specific projects that you'd like to share with our listeners? Yes, actually. Um, I'm in the process of rebranding um, just because when I started uh, this firm, Jackson Stone Financial, it was with the intention of being a multifamily office. And so I've pivoted significantly over the years. And so I wanted to, um, I want to rebrand. So then it kind of resonates and it, uh, my brand will kind of reflect who I am, um, the values of the firm, what we stand for. Um, and so I actually hired a marketing and PR firm to help me with the rebranding with my narrative and kind of, um, help me get a lot more exposure. Um, you know, that's another thing. A, a lesson that I learned I, in my career, I, I've always wanted to low, low profile, kind of stay behind the scenes and because that's kind of the industry I come from, right? But when you're a business owner, I think it's important that people know who you are before they meet you, right? So I kind of had to change the way I think about the marketing and PR, not as being sort of... Um, uh, narcissistic, right? But it's sort of par for the course and it's a necessary evil to kind of get to the next level. So that's what I'm working on now is sort of my rebranding and kind of focusing on um, social impact funds. So, um, you know, working with groups that are focused with um, making profits with a purpose, really. So can you tell me about your involvement with FIRE and why? 
Um, that actually came coincidentally. Um, I was out at a happy hour one day in downtown and I was with a group of friends and um, I met a fellow colleague who's actually now my market COVID. Um, and he says, I said, you know what? It's so refreshing to meet another Filipino in this industry. Usually, you know, I, I've never come across another Filipino. And he says, you know, have you never heard of fire? I said, what is that? And he says, it's um, Filipinos in institutional real estate. And in, as a matter of fact, they're having a gala out in Dana Point um, in a few weeks. You should come. And so when I um, bought my ticket and I was thinking, God, I'm having to drive from downtown all the way to Dana Point on a Friday night. It's going to take me two hours. Coming up with all kinds of excuses. Long, decided to show up and my life changed career changed also um after that night i think i met great great people who kind of has um or had my best interest right uh it was a great networking um platform in that you kind of know one person fortunately i was able to meet the president at the time and so because i knew her she introduced me to a whole bunch of other folks and i think it just in the span of two years i would say my network probably quadrupled because of fire right and if i want to run ideas right or when i'm working on an engagement letter there's folks that i can call right or if i need resources for my clients there's folks that i know firsthand that i can um pick up the phone and call right and, it, and that's been very invaluable to my practice perfect um what's the next goal that you've set for yourself, whether it's a personal goal or a professional goal? Um, for me, it's taking my firm to the next level um, and really focusing on firms that have a social impact. I think I had a flavor of that um, a few years ago where I was a had the opportunity to kind of work on a project on the south side of Chicago. And prior to that, I was just doing capital markets, right? Not thinking about the social impact piece. But after having that experience, it really inspired me to um, work with groups that are socially conscious. So I'd like to, in my launch, I'd like to kind of um, hone in on, on that niche market. Okay. So when you say social impact, since that sounds like it's going to be a central theme for your rebranding and just where you see yourself, what does social impact mean to you? Social impact is many things. It, you know, it could be, um, you know, diversity and inclusion, right? Making sure that we have equal representation, Right. Um, and I think that I'm in a position for that because I'm advising GP uh, general partners, right, in these investment vehicles. And um, I'm seeing it more and more where they're, the investors are requiring general partners to have diversity and inclusion in a real way. Right. Um, so making sure that there's representation on all levels of the organization. But also, you know, I think the, my heart is at you know I, I grew up with very humble beginnings as i said the reason why i want to focus on social impact and specifically in affordable housing and workforce housing because um i think that when when i was growing up what made our lives easier it was that we were in a stable home 
like we didn't, my mom didn't have to move from one city to the next apartment to the next apartment, right? We kind of lived in the same place for almost 18 years, um, which was around family members. And so um, a lot of investment groups that I work with now um, entail either workforce housing or affordable housing, because um, I think that that's important for kids or the next generation or families even in general um, to have stable living in order to kind of get to the next level, right? If if you're in a stable home, then you could do better in school and it kind of just um, snowballs into more meaningful things for families. So that's kind of what I like to focus on. Great. Um, so I'm going to start wrapping up. I want to thank you for taking the time because I believe that um, uh, we are helping each other grow. Um, and I believe these conversations are an opportunity for all of us to hear the similarities and the um, ambitions that I think people of color have. Um, and just learning how someone else got somewhere is, I think, huge. Um, so thank you so much, Rosalie, for sharing and just for being, I'd say, one of, I'd say one, of the, one of the guests that I've enjoyed getting to know outside of this podcast, truthfully. Um, and I, I can't wait for us to be able to see each other in a more meaningful way. Um, but I, I'm excited because um, what I think you're bringing to the world is so important. Um, and I'm so glad you're, you know, having an opportunity today to share that. So I'm going to finish up with two questions. Um, inclusion in my industry looks like, if you can fill in the blanks. Um, I think inclusion in my industry, which is um, commercial real estate, is having um, diversity, not just in, you know, the junior levels of organizations, but mid-tier and also at the equity ownership levels because it's very common these days to have a lot of diversity right in the entry level or junior roles but once you kind of get to the middle management upper management and even on the equity side um it, it sort of gets diluted diversion uh diversity and inclusion sort of get diluted right um as a matter of fact i belong to a coalition um where we're trying to um, effectuate change in this industry um, by working with different groups and implementing um, mandates, um, if I may, to help foster a lot more meaningful diversity and inclusion. So to answer your question, I think to have more people of color, more women in equity um, ownership and as well as upper management. Perfect. Um, what does life look like coming full circle to you? Um, life looks full circle. It, it's, you know, I think, like I mentioned before, there was a lot of groups and people that paved the way for me. And I feel very blessed and fortunate to be in a position where um, I have a seat at the table and I can not only advocate for those behind me, but also to speak up for those that feel that they don't have a voice. Um, and also kind of um, lightening the load for the next generation, right? A few years ago, we started a small nonprofit, um, nonprofit called Heart of Angels, 
where we give those opportunities to disadvantaged and underprivileged children and families. And probably that's one of the most fulfilling things that I've done in my career is um, help establish that nonprofit to be able to give back, right, through mentoring programs, different sponsorships, and give children um, a sense of hope and pride, right, getting them out of their element. Um, so that, for me, is full circle. Yeah, I, I hear so many full circles in your story um, <laughs> between um, providing homes to people who you can relate to because of your own experience. Um, I also hear uh, giving back in terms of, you know, educational opportunities uh, for people who you also feel like that was me. And someone had to give me, you know, that first shot. Um, I also hear lots of um, an entrepreneur's story of creating something from scratch that you feel you have ownership over. And I think ownership is so important um, for communities of color because oftentimes um, we don't see ourselves in our communities or who's owning things may not necessarily always be us. So Um, having an opportunity to create ownership is huge. Um, and just, you know, being a woman, it's just (laughs) amazing. So this is great. Um, so our listeners can connect with you, of course, on LinkedIn. Um, they can also, uh, I'll put in the show notes, your website so they can connect with you. Um, I'm excited to, um, see the rebrand and see what the next, 2.0 looks like, um, for Jackson stone financial. And I just want to thank you so much for taking the time today. Absolutely. And it was a pleasure. Thank you for having me.